I want you to turn today to the book of John, chapter 14, and we're going to begin with two verses, verse 25 and 26. Jesus is here, they're in the upper room, he's speaking to his disciples. The next day he's going to be crucified. So he's imparting to them important truth, preparing them, because he's not going to be with them any longer. And look at verse 25 of chapter 14. Jesus says these words. He says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and listen to this, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus is telling them that the Holy Spirit is going to remind them of the truth that Jesus preached. And church, that's why we have the Gospels and the Epistles, the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit not only gave the writers what to, to say exactly, He helped them to remember the exact words that Jesus spoke so that they could be passed down to us today. Church, I believe in the Bible. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. I don't pick and choose and remove things and say, well, this isn't part of the Bible or shouldn't be believed any longer. Our culture does. Our culture is at war with the Christian church and the, and the Word of God. And so today, I want to continue this thought And I want to talk to you about several things, and some of them are questions that I've been asked. And uh, also, I'd like to say that uh, today is Gus's 86th birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Gus! <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> That's his 86-year-old happy dance. A frequent question that I've been asked is, why, do, why are there 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books that, in the New Testament? Did, did a group of people get together and just decide, hey, we're going to create a Bible. And we're going to take different writings that we've come across and we're just going to put them all together. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? The Holy Spirit is working in the church throughout the years. And the Holy Spirit orchestrated that God's people, the people that love the Lord, that have that relationship with Jesus, that they would recognize that He had inspired these writers to write these books and to receive them. So the church has received these books as being from God, recognizing because the same Holy Spirit that was working in the lives of those that wrote it is the same Holy Spirit that works in our hearts and lives that we receive this Word as being God's Word. In Jesus' time, 
By then, the Old Testament had been written and received. And Jesus, listen to this, Jesus speaks about the Old Testament. So do the apostles. They all reaffirm that this is the Word of God. Several years ago, I was taking a master's level class, and, and they had me read a book and by a so-called great theologian. And, and he, in the beginning of this book, he said that he believed that the first 12 chapters of Genesis were myth. And I had to write a paper on this book. It frustrated me. And in fact, I started my paper, I can't believe you wanted me to waste my time reading this garbage. <laughs> then I proceeded to take Scripture from the New Testament where Jesus acknowledges Adam and Eve, he acknowledges Noah he, the, and the disciples that they were all reaffirming different books of the Old Testament and the, the people that were in them. And I said, Jesus said he believed in Adam and Eve and this is how it was. He believed in the flood, this is how it was. So if Jesus is affirming it, why on earth would I take the, the word of some Bible so-called scholar when I have the word of Jesus? Anyway, I wondered if I would get an F on that paper. But I got an A. That's what they were wanting. They were wanting me to stand up and know what I believe. They were wanting me to say, that is not truth, and recognize it and say, I'm not going to accept it. Because too many people today just accept from some so-called authority that this is truth and they begin to believe that way. Just last week, a very prominent, probably one of the top five prominent pastors in the United States, he pastors over 40,000 people every Sunday from his church and the satellite churches that he has. He made a statement that did not line up with Scripture. Totally against Scripture. Why? Because of the pressure of our culture. And obviously, pastors from all over the United States couldn't imagine that he made that statement. And so church, at the beginning of the year, God was stirring my heart that we have to be grounded in the Word. We have to know what God's Word says. And we have to live our lives according to the Word of God. Because we're facing times that are getting so dark and so crazy that church, we've got to know God's Word. Amen? One of the amazing things about God's Word is the unity. There were 40 authors, or, or possibly even more, we don't know for sure, because some of the books, um, don't, we don't know the author of some of the books. And some of the books, some, some theologians believe possibly there were more than one author writing one of the books. 
So we don't know exactly, but we know that there are approximately 40 authors were used by the Holy Spirit to bring forth the Word of God. It's also interesting that it was over a period of 15 to 1600 years. Yet astonishingly, there is a unity. Now there were also men that wrote on three different continents. And they wrote in three different languages. And yet, there's a scarlet thread. In Genesis, we read where Adam and Eve sinned, and guess what? They tried to cover themselves. They recognized they were sinners. They, they, they recognized the absence of God's glory. New Testament says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So, we, we see in, in the New Testament, what did God do? I mean, the Old Testament, in Genesis, what did God do? They were trying to cover themselves sewing fig leaves together. God took the life of an innocent animal. He shed blood. And He took the skins and covered them. In the very beginning, God was giving us a message that He wants us to receive that redemption so we can have that relationship with Him. And that the only way that relationship comes is by the shedding of blood, by the giving of a life, a pure life, a holy life. The entire Bible is all pointing to the fact that God was going to send the Messiah. The Messiah's name is Jesus. Jesus was going to die and shed his blood for our sins and that his blood is greater than all our sin. Amen? That scarlet thread is all through there, that unity. There's other threads of unity through the Scripture, but we're not going to cover all that. But it's impossible to have the unity of Scripture by all these different authors in three different continents, in different cultures, different languages, and yet there's, they all blend together in unity. Why? Because there was one author, it was God. The Holy Spirit was superintending everything that came forth. You believe that? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prof prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men didn't write this. They weren't robots. So in, in their writings, we receive their personality. We, we see the traits of their culture. It comes through. And the uniqueness of their language. All of these things we see, but at the same time, there's unity that we can't deny. It's the Holy Spirit fundamentally being that superintendent of the, of the Word of God. Now there's a word we use called canon. Everybody say canon. I'm not talking about the kind that you light the fuse and it goes boom. I'm talking about the word we use with Scripture. It's called the canon of Scripture. Everybody say the canon of Scripture. That word originally in the Greek meant read. It's saying the read of Scripture. 
And you say, well, that sounds weird. What's that supposed to mean? Right? But I'll tell you why. Because read, or the canon meant read, and read is what they're talking about. They used, it was a plant that grew straight and strong, and they would take that reed and cut it precise lengths, and that length would become a measuring stick. So the church throughout the years has said, this is the canon of Scripture. What that means is, this is the plumb line. This is our measuring stick of how life is to be lived. Amen? And our nation was founded on this plumb line. That's why we're the greatest nation the world has ever known. That's why we were so blessed because our founders loved God. Many of our founding fathers were even pastors, preachers. Many of them. But the majority of them believed this was the Word of God. Guess what? Our first reader in our public schools in the United States of America was it was the Bible. The Congress had the Bible printed and placed in all of our schools so that our children would learn to read from God's Word. If you don't believe me, do some history work. It's true. Why were we so blessed? Because we believed in the Judeo-Christian ethics. We believed this was the plumb line. We wanted to see a, a, a nation that thrived and here's the plumb line. Sadly, our nation no longer recognizes this as the plumb line. Why is our nation in such chaos? Why are we going downhill? I heard many experts that aren't Christian, but many experts that say America has reached its peak and it is in a fast descent. Church, we've got to get back to the plumb line. We've taken God's Word out of our schools. And sadly, many times all this is is a coaster on our coffee table. And church, I'm not trying to be heavy today. I love our nation and I love you and I want you to live the ultimate life and it's found right here. Amen? I'm asked questions all the time, and I want to give you some more verses. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. That means it's to be taught, taught so that you can live by it, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen? The answer for our culture and all of our struggles is found right here and sadly the church isn't saying this is the plumb line this is your measuring stick and we have to get back to that we have to get back to that one of the questions a hard question in our culture today we we find it many times people ask what is going on with all the people that are one sex and think they're supposed to be another sex? Gender confusion. 
I, I saw on the TV not too long ago a mother that was celebrating the fact, I think she had five children, and four out of the five all thought they were something else other than what they were biologically born to be. And she was just thinking, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this great? Only one child was, I think it was a boy, and he believed he was a boy. Then she had some girls and some boys, and they all thought they were supposed to be the opposite sex. And we're, our culture is celebrating that. And church, the answer is still in the plumb line. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God says, There's only two sexes, and I created you. You're either male nor female. When a child is born, the first thing we ask is, Is it a boy or is it a girl? Now they say, it doesn't really matter. When they get a little older, we'll say, you can choose. They can't choose. You can't change your chromosomes. You're either a boy or a girl. God says so. And in fact, it's interesting. I was talking to Pastor Doug last night, and he brought a fact that, that uh, w was interesting to me. In the American Psychiatric Association, an association that's about almost 200 years old. I think it's about 180 years old now. But in the association, until 2012, they listed gender confusion as a mental illness. In 2012, they changed that. The pastor Doug said... Milt, they didn't change it because of some scientific studies and research that they had done and had some new scientific enlightenment. He said they changed it because that crowd became so disruptive and was protesting and threatening and challenging. That's why they changed it. Church, we have a plumb line. And I know sometimes kids, you'll have a little girl and she's a tomboy. But because she wants to be a cowboy or an astronaut or something that's more typically, we think, a little boys, it's okay for them to play and to, and to be a tomboy. But as they grow, you reaffirm God created you to be a woman. And God's got special plans for you to be a beautiful woman and make a difference in this world, and we celebrate the fact that you are either a woman or you're a man, however God created you. Are you with me? Yes. Now, I'm probably going to get letters. I'm probably going to have people that are upset. But church, our nation is going, and forgive me, it, our nation is going to hell in a handbag because we've gotten away from God's design. 
Amen? People ask me other questions. People ask me, well, what about the abortion debate? It's real easy. Read God's Word. Are you with me? Read the Word. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he's talking to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He's got a prenatal perspective on Jeremiah and every one of us. He says, before you were born, I sanctified you. He's saying, I had plans for you, Jeremiah. I sanctified you. I set you apart for the plan and the purpose of God. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And I know this is difficult. I know Christians that are very pro-abortion. And I'm sorry. According to Scripture, the plumb line... And I'm going to give you another scripture. Exodus chapter 21, 22. This is interesting. It says, if men fight and hurt a woman with child. So there's two guys just bruising around and they hurt a woman who's a bystander that's pregnant. So that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But listen to this. The next verse says, But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. So God's saying if two guys are horsing around, if two guys are fighting it out, and they hurt a woman and that baby dies, they should die. And you say, that's, that's harsh. It's murder. It's capital punishment. So don't tell me that God approves of abortion. And I wonder, one day, the doctors and the nurses that are going to stand before God that have uh, helped with all these abortions, the blood's on their hands. I'm also asked commonly, what about homosexuality? And church, I want you to know, I love people. I love them in their sin. I welcome them in our church. They're welcome here. And, I, and we should love them. Why? Because I'm a sinner too. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not perfect. But I'm not going to tell them that it's okay just live in your sin. I'm going to tell them God has something better. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, it's very plain. There's other scriptures along this line too. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That's pretty straightforward. In the original language there, the word that's translated abomination means morally disgusting. And the idea behind it is the idea is, is that because of God's warnings, the people of the Lord regard certain actions and characteristics and behaviors as destructive to the family and society. It's interesting that in Africa, the majority of nations outlaw homosexual relationships and they're not Christian nations. But they do say this, it's against the law of nature. 
Now, I've got a great passage. I want you to listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They're not going to go to heaven. They're not going to experience God's kingdom in their lives. It says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's having sex outside of a marriage relationship, nor idolaters, that's putting anything ahead of your relationship with God. You say, well, I don't worship idols today. Do you worship fame? Do you worship fortune? Do you worship your husband or wife? Are they, do they have a hold of place that's higher in your, your relationship than the relationship you have with God? I guarantee you, I love God more than I love Melinda. And she's thankful for that. Because she knows that when I love God with all my heart, it enables me to love her more. I can be a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather when I am totally surrendered to Jesus and say, Lord, more of you and less of me. Amen. Amen. Now listen, listen to this. It goes on. It says, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. So there's two different words there, both speaking about homosexuality. Then it says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. That's those that verbally abuse or blaspheme. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And everybody, I know you're saying, man, that's kind of a downer. Right? Well, the next verse is awesome. Get ready. Are you ready for the next verse? Listen to this. Verse 11. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. Paul's writing to the church. And he said, these people that are caught up in this lifestyle and don't change and they die in that lifestyle, they can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But listen to what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. <laughs> He's saying, the church. Just picture Paul saying, some of you. That describes the life you were living. But he's saying now, that's past tense. Now, you know Jesus. Now, your sins have been washed. Amen? Now, you're sanctified. You're justified. You're set apart unto God. He's saying, you're not the same anymore. Amen? It, the verse goes on. Paul says, and such were some of you. Now, people will tell you that, hey, I'm born this way. This verse refutes that. Because he says, you were like that, but now you're not. Now you're blood-bought. Now you're born again. Now you're in the kingdom of God. You're in the family of God. You've been transformed and changed. You're not the same anymore. Then he goes on. I love this. He says, but you were washed. The word washed there is awesome. In the original language, it, it means 
the complete removal of sin and sin's debt. That's what it means. And then he goes on and he says, but you were sanctified. And that means God has a plan for your life. And he took you from that, what you were involved in, and and he set you free. And now he set you apart for his plan and purpose. And then he says, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And justified is a legal term in the original language. Today it would be comparison to a judge in a court and he takes the gavel and he slams the gavel down and he declares you innocent. And the word there means that justified that we are innocent as if we had never, ever sinned. Oh, come on, church. (laughs) We're not the same anymore. Amen. God's transformed us. He's delivered us. Those things don't hold us. Amen. And Jesus said, when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. It doesn't mean that you have to ever go back to that lifestyle. Wednesday night we celebrated because Sonny, Sonny celebrated one year of sobriety. She was, involved, she was involved in heroin and meth and it had a hold on her life, but Jesus set her free. It's been a year, and guess what? When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. That's the message, church. This is the plumb line. Now everybody, jump, jump with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's going to get good. Is everybody okay today? We hadn't had too many people walk out, so we still got enough to have church. I love chapter 28 because all of this I'm talking about today has to do, God gave us His Word because He wants to bless you. There's all kind of self-help books out there that say, if you want to live the best life, if you want to, you know, have a great and wonderful life and fulfill your potential and all these things, none of them compare to the Word of God. In other words, church, you're never going to reach your potential in the ultimate life that God wants you to live until you start living by the word, by the plumb line. Look, I love chapter 28 because it shows God's heart to bless you. Look at verse 1. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey. Everybody say, diligently obey. Diligently means that we obey wholeheartedly and speedily. That's what the, the original means. If we diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. When you commit to being obedient to the word of God, he is going to begin to exalt you and people are going to recognize there's something different about your life. They're going to recognize the blessing of God upon you And they're going to want to know what's up. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Years ago, the French sent an ambassador, Alexander de Tocqueville, 
And they sent him to find out why America was so blessed. And you know what he said? He said, or I think it was actually why America was so great. And he came back and he told him, he said, America is great because America is good. And when America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And that's where we're headed, church. And we've got to turn this rig around. And we've got to begin to love people into the kingdom of God. And I want to stress... We speak the truth. I've been speaking truth today, and I'm passionate about it, but don't ever think that I'm speaking it in anger. I'm speaking it in love. And people that are caught up in any of these things, any sins, I want them to know how much Jesus loves them. I want them to know I love them. I want them to know our church loves them, and they're welcome here. But I want them to know this is the plumb line and to live your ultimate life. Church, you got to line it up with the Word. I'm going to get excited in a minute and start preaching. Look at verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Everybody say overtake you. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. I love that. How many feel like your life is out of control sometimes? You've got to be here. You've got to be there. You've got to take the kids to soccer. You've got to take them to baseball. You've got to take them to music lessons. You've got to go help grandma and grandpa. You've got to do this for the boss and do this other thing. And It just seems like our lives are so fast-paced. You ever feel that way? This verse says... It doesn't matter how fast-paced your life is. It doesn't matter how fast you're running. God is going to come up from behind you. He's going to overtake you, and you can't outrun His blessings. You can't do it. If you're diligently obeying the voice of the Lord, you can't outrun the blessings of God. Turn to somebody and tell them, you can't outrun His blessings. The next verse says, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. God is saying there, he's going to bless you no matter where you are. Some of us like to live out on 40 acres in the woods, away from everybody else. We don't want anybody pestering us. God's going to bless you there. Some of us like to live in the city with all the noise, with all the people. God says, I'm going to bless you there. And he's going to guide us and direct us and tell us where he wants us. But God is going to bless you no matter where you live. Look at verse 4. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. God says, if you are obedient to me, you're diligently obeying the voice of the Lord, living by the word, I'm going to bless your kids. The greatest thing you can do for your children is live for Jesus. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm not. Because I'm already out of time and i got a couple more things to say. I'm having fun today. I mean, this was difficult. I've been praying all week because I knew somebody's going to see this online. They're going to take things I'm saying and take them out of context. And most pastors won't touch these cultural things. But church, they're not cultural battles. They're biblical. 
And as the church, we're called to stand up and say, this is the plumb line. And when you live according to the Word of God, God's going to bless you. People want to be blessed. If we want a nation that's going to be blessed, we have to get back to the plumb line. Let's go on to verse, the rest of verse 4. Not only is God going to bless our children, then it says, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. And you're looking at that and thinking, God's only going to bless the farmers. Israel was an agricultural nation. God's saying, when you're diligently obeying Him, I'm going to bless your vocation. Amen? Let's go on. I've got to finish. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. God promises to bless our daily supply. He's saying you'll always have enough when you put me first. Numbers, verse 6, blessed shall, be, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. When you're doing your best to live for Jesus, you get up in the morning, you leave the house, you can say, God's going to bless my daily duties. God's going to bless my workplace. He's going to bless me at work today. He's going to bless me my drive home. He's going to bless me. And when I walk through the door, God's going to bless me with rest and family. And through the night, God's going to bless me night and day. Oh, is anybody liking this bit besides me? Listen to this, verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. God doesn't tell us just because we're living for Him, we'll never have battles. In fact, if you're living for Him, there's going to be a big red target on your back that the devil says, I want to take you out. But God says, my angels are encamped round about you. Amen? And God is saying here in this passage, He's saying, you're going to have battles. There's an enemy coming against you, but I'm going to give you a perfect victory. Seven is God's number of perfection. And so God is saying there, I'm going to give you a perfect victory over the enemy. Then verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you and your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself, just as He has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. Church, You can watch the nightly news and you know that our nation's in trouble. But God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And, and it's obvious to most Christians, if you've read God's Word, you know we're living in the last days. But God chose us to live in the last days. And guess what? 
where people are hungry for God, God's still showing up. There are still miracles. There are still glorious things that God's doing. I got a report that in Kentucky and I think it was Asbury, there was a great revival that hit the university there. And they started, they were having a prayer meeting and the prayer meeting hasn't stopped. And people have been flocking in to that building and that prayer meeting is continuing. And people are rushing to the altars with tears in their eyes, giving their hearts to Jesus and getting right with God if they've drifted away. I love the fact that even though in the last days these things are going to happen and the Bible tells us, Jesus says, don't be worried about it. Don't be afraid. And at the same time, his prophetic word says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Amen? So church, we need to get ready for revival. And we need to welcome revival. We need to pray for revival. And we need to say, this is the plumb line, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to live by it. And God's declared, I'm going to be blessed. The ultimate life God has for you is found right here. Amen? And I've got to stop. Worship team, come. Church, I'm passionate about this. Because Christians need to know the Word in the times we're living. We need to know what's right according to God's Word and say, you know, I'm not going to step back from that. We believe that. But we're not going to persecute and condemn people that are caught up in that. Because we're to speak the truth in love and we're to welcome them to Jesus. Because every one of us have sinned. Amen? We all need Jesus. And I welcome any sinner in our church because our church is already filled with sinners. But we're sinners saved by God's grace and He declares in His Word that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how God sees us. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. What matters is coming to Jesus and saying, forgive me and cleanse me. Amen? Let's stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come across the front and around the back. And if you're here today and you have a need, Maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ. We invite you to come and pray with us. I'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you've kind of drifted away. Maybe you grew up in church and you've drifted out. Or maybe you're here today and there's a life-controlling issue that you have. And you don't want to have that issue in your life any longer. We want to pray with you. Whatever your need is today, church, Jesus is the answer. And I want to pray for all of us before our prayer team begins to pray for us. Let's bow our heads together.
Heavenly Father, I just thank you today for your awesome word. I thank you that it is the plumb line. Lord, I pray that everyone in this building and everyone who's watching online today, Lord, that we would recognize that you created us with a plan and a purpose. Every one of us is to make this world better. And when we line up with your word and strive to live for you as, as far as surrendering to you everything and saying, God, do it in me. That when we line up with your word and live that life of obedience, you are going to give us the ultimate life in our marriage, in our relationship with our children, in our, in our work, whatever it is, Lord, you're going to give us the ultimate life. So, Lord, I just bless everyone that's here today. I bless them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for them. Lord, help us to acknowledge the plumb line and live by your measure. Lord, help us. But we know that we can't do it on our own. We don't have the strength or ability. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. But the answer is total surrender to you. I'm saying, Lord, live the life you want me to live. Empower me with your Holy Spirit to live that I can be Lord, the ultimate person that you want me to be. Lord, I just ask it in that for all of us. In Jesus' mighty name. As Mitch leads us in a chorus, we come and find one of the prayer team. If you have a need today, we want to pray. If you don't have a prayer need, then let's just worship the Lord for just a minute before we're just. joining us today we look forward to connecting with you next time and don't forget you can support us by giving through the church center app or by going online at summitwc.com give